Welcome back to Via the Source, where you can get news about the entire NFL and, of course, the Miami Dolphins. Fins up. Here's Steven, your host. What's up, guys? Today's date is November 8th. I'm Steven Masso. As always, you're listening to Via the Source. Now, in today's episode, we're going to be going over my recap of the game between the Houston Texans and the Miami Dolphins. It was a game that the Dolphins won by a score of 17-9. to Both of these teams entered this game with a losing streak of seven games. Both of them also regarded at this point to be among the worst teams in the league, if not the two worst. Omar Kelly went on to call this game the Toilet Bowl. So, of course, there wasn't too much significance in terms of the 2021 season and how it will play out, but in terms of of determining who was the worst team in football, I think a lot of Dolphin fans will be happy to acknowledge that apparently the Houston Texans are still worse than them, and that is even without Tua Tungavailoa playing in this game. Now, another important thing to note here was that the Dolphins, of course, do not have their first round pick, so them tanking away the season, there wouldn't be any use of that because the Eagles have that pick. It's a point that a lot of people are very angry about, but at the end of the day, The Miami Dolphins got the win in this game. It was not a pretty game at all. It's not a matter of either of these two teams coming out here and dominating the other necessarily, even though I do think the Dolphins did some things well. There were a lot of moments, especially offensively for both of these teams, where it looked a lot more like a scrimmage. It felt like you were watching a preseason game, which is what Tone Lantern said to me on Twitter. Very good point. I mean, you watch this game, there's no urgency, there's no sense of uh, a lot of guidance or structure in this game. It looked like two teams that were kind of just trying to figure out what to do on the offensive side of the ball. So I mentioned Tua Tungvaluwa did not play in this game. It came as a shock very early on. Tua had been questionable all week with a finger injury, but now right before the game, it came out that he had a fractured middle finger. The middle finger, of course, is one of those last fingers to touch the ball as you're releasing it. So it does have some significance in that regard. And apparently before the game, he was throwing it. Uh, There was some swelling. There was some um, some pain pain involved there, but the Dolphins elected not to call up anybody. So even though he was not the starter for this game, he did suit up and he was the team's backup quarterback. So if anything were to have happened to Jacoby Brissett, Tua would have had to take over. At least that's the idea if they weren't going to run the Wildcat. So before the game, he was out there. He was throwing some passes around. Some people were saying, look, he's good enough to go. He's making some passes. Why isn't he playing? And a lot of people were saying that, you know, maybe uh, this is Brian Flores' way of benching Tua. This was actually him benching him and kind of using that injury as a scapegoat. Now, again, this is all just my opinion. If you're asking me, I think that Tua's weakness when it comes to his abilities as a quarterback is his arm strength and getting velocity on the football. So he doesn't throw the fastest ball, which is already a concern on those tighter window passes, on those out routes that I've been talking about through the past couple weeks. So if this injury was causing even more of a setback in that regard, then it might have been too risky to have him on the field. So even though people are pointing to those passes in the pregame warmups, whether it was because they were warmups or whether it was because of the injury or both, it looked like there was not a lot of velocity and when you consider he doesn't necessarily throw the hardest ball in football already that might have been too much risk and then of course re-aggravating the injury so a lot of people are saying that his ability for the Thursday game against the Ravens is already in jeopardy a lot of people are saying that's likely going to be a game the Dolphins get blown out 
whatever, we'll address that once we get to that point. So Jacoby Brissett took, took over 26 for 43, 244 yards, one touchdown and two interceptions. Overall, it was not a good game from Jacoby Brissett. He missed on a handful of throws. There was one play in particular where he had Jalen Waddle doing a cross route kind of similar to how we saw it before when he was the quarterback. He took off on the run to avoid pressure, chucked it down the field way entirely too late. There's already two defenders in the area and they uh, it made an easy pick. The other interception came after the Dolphins had a turnover. So again, not a great game from Jacoby Brissett. I remember at the beginning of the season, I said that he was one of the higher echelon backup quarterbacks and that there's probably a few teams he could be a starter on after how he's performed throughout the season, after how he performed in this game. I don't think that's necessarily true. I don't even buy into my own opinion when I said that anymore. And of course, in large part, is because of the offensive line. The typical guys struggled here in this game. It was a very porous offensive line. Jacoby Brissett was running for his life. There there was absolutely zero running game, but uh, you know we were used to seeing the other typical guys struggle, the Jesse Davis, the Austin Jackson, but in this game, this was one where Liam Eikenberg struggled severely, and it really brought up the narrative, well, did the Dolphins potentially already miss on another offense alignment? Because of course, if you look at the guys they've missed on so far, they devo devoted so many draft picks to this group, and it seems like more of them than not have ended up being very bad. Well, at this point, people are starting to be very concerned with Liam Eikenberg and people are starting to bring up the idea whether the Dolphins have another bust here at the offensive line because of course they've devoted a lot of picks to addressing this unit specifically but it seems like for the most part none of these guys have really succeeded when they've been put into the position to you know be a starter on this team so a lot of people are very angry of course he's you know a rookie so there is some room for him to improve but a lot of people are saying maybe the Dolphins don't even have a guard on this entire I mean I don't even have a tackle on this entire roster and Liam Eikenberg's going to have to be yet another guy who gets moved over from tackle to guard, which would of course be very disheartening. Now, I mentioned the offensive line uh, playing extremely poorly. Well, that of course carries over to the running game. And I say that because there was the game against the Colts. People saw Jonathan Taylor take off. And remember, I was, I was very big on Jonathan Taylor. I had him being the only running back drafted in the first round a few years ago in my mock draft. And then on top of that, this most recent draft, I said I thought the Dolphins were going to go defense instead of running back. But if they went Najee Harris, I'd be all over it. And then of course, my guy in the draft was Javante Williams. I was very in favor of them doing that. But at the same time, I can't see how people make the very clear correlation that Tua is playing poorly in large part because the offense line's horrendous. Everyone makes that correlation. But yet, for some reason, people don't make that same correlation with the running game. They see the running game struggle and they point to, we should have got Najee Harris. We should have got Jonathan Taylor. We missed all these running backs. How come we can acknowledge the offensive line is such a major factor in the hindrance of the quarterback success, but we can't make that very clear correlation here with the running game? I mean, I do agree this uh, this area could be improved by, by all accounts. It's not like this is a perfect unit. This is definitely at best an average unit, but I do think that expecting just plugging in Jonathan Taylor here would fix everything. That's not going to happen. They would have to break three tackles by the time they reached the line of scrimmage. Nobody is doing that. Nobody. You can look at Todd Gurley's second year in the NFL when he regressed severely. The offensive line wasn't giving him anything to work with. This is a position that is so dependent on the offensive line being able to make holes for them, and their job is to just hit the hole. If you look at what Jonathan Taylor did in that game where he popped off, how many of those yards were before contact? I mean, the offensive line for the Colts is elite. If you look at the Cowboys offensive line with Zeke, 
Zeke elite. Before Zeke was even there, it was DeMarco Murray. After DeMarco Murray and between Zeke, Darren McFadden had like the best year of his career. I mean, the offensive line, their success is completely tied to how well the running game is going to be. But while I do think for sure this unit could be improved, I don't think necessarily when you see the offensive line struggling and you see the secondary getting torched more often than not, you see the inability to create pressure. Do you really have a good group of linebackers here? There's a ton of areas on the team. I think the running back one is the most interchangeable in the entire sport of football and saying that they messed up by not going after a running back when you have all the rest of the team kind of falling apart. I just think it's a little misguided. I wouldn't say it's a waste of a pick to go after a running back necessarily because I would have been on board with it, but I don't know if it would necessarily have helped the team the same way that people seem to think it would have. Now, as for the receiving game here, Jalen Waddle led the team in receptions in this game. Eight catches for 83 yards. He had a long of 17, so this was definitely a better performance for Jalen Waddle in terms of, you know, uh, getting over that 10 yards per catch mark that he seems to get stuck under quite a bit. They used him a lot more dynamically. I wouldn't say that they're necessarily targeting him deep down the field like many people would hope, but at least he was not somebody who was exclusively used around the line of scrimmage. He was actually in that intermediate game on some of those somewhat deeper passes. He was a factor there, which is kind of a trend that I think more of us would like to see heading forward, but I think the main guy here to kind of talk about is Mike Kosicki. He had two, and it was almost like four, but he had two amazing one-handed catches. I'm talking just pure raw athleticism. The guy as a receiving tight end is about as good as they come, I think. Of course, you can point to all the issues blocking and saying that will always hold back his game to some degree, but his ability as a receiving tight end I'm 100% certain if you plug him into a different team, if you plug him in there with Patrick Mahomes, if you plug him in there with Tom Brady, the guy would be a top like two receiving tight end because he is that dynamic with the targets going in his direction. And I tweeted, it's something I've said for the past couple weeks, is that the Dolphins shouldn't let Mike Kosicki walk out of the stadium without a contract extension. If you look at all the areas where they're going to have liberty to shed away people on the roster who didn't take that next step, Mike Kosicki's not one of them. He needs to be a guy that you kind of have as your foundation. I think he's only trending up more and more. He's starting to get confident in himself. You can see on the field with his swagger and his hype. I think Mike Kosicki needs a contract extension. I mean, God knows there's a ton of guys here who won't be on the team likely next season. Aside from, you know, that young core, give Mike Kosicki an extension. I think he deserves it. Now, as for the defensive side of the ball, this is where the team really shined. If there was one area where I could say, yeah, the Dolphins actually looked like they dominated, it was on the defensive side of the ball. Terod Taylor in this game, 24 for 43, only 240 yards passing, but he had three interceptions in this game, a quarterback rating of 13. So a very bad performance from Terod Taylor. A lot of it was due to the pressure that was being pushed at him in all directions, it seemed like, throughout this game. You had Emmanuel Ogba in this game, two and a half sacks. Nick Needham got in there on a blitz where it was just a monster, picture-perfect technique kind of sack. Very, very awesome to see. Uh, Andrew Van Ginkle also had a sack. Jalen Phillips had half of a sack in this game. In total, that's five sacks for the Miami Dolphins on Terod Taylor in this game. But even then, the plays that didn't show up necessarily in the stat column, you had plays where Terod Taylor was on third down, forced to kind of throw it off into the sideline. 
times. We saw that a ton of times. He had an interception uh, that was picked off by Javon Holland in the end zone. If you look at that, the pressure was barreling down towards him. He kind of had to just chuck it into the end zone, hope his guy got there. Javon Holland was able to track it down and beat him to the spot. You look at the other interception, a very questionable decision on the part of Taylor. But Jerome Baker was able to make a toe-tap interception along the sidelines, a very heads-up play on what was an extremely questionable decision by Taylor, where Phillips was able to get there with pressure, uh, track down Taylor along the sidelines. Of course, you have to remember this guy is extremely elusive as a quarterback, and for whatever reason, he kind of attempted a shovel pass, which Jerome Baker was able to pick off. And then for the other interception, we saw Justin Coleman, a guy who's kind of been struggling so far this year. He was able to jump in front of what looked like a slant route or a post route, if I'm not mistaken, and get in front of the man uh, to make the interception. So, Overall, a ton of things to love about the defense in this game. We saw a little bit more of that uniqueness, I thought, from the defense side of the ball, sending those blitzes, kind of looking a lot more confident and menacing as opposed to playing back and, uh, you know, keeping things in front of them. It seems like in this one, we saw more of that movement, more of that confusion that kind of was the defense's identity uh, last season. A lot of people have been questioning, why did they drift away from it? I've seen several people have answers saying that it was just gimmicky. My bet for this would be, uh, on the idea that the Dolphins' talent just wasn't good enough to, uh, to sustain this kind of defense. I don't think there was a consistent amount of pressure with those blitzes. I think some of the guys that they expected to take massive next steps, whether it's Jerome Baker or Andrew Van Ginkle, haven't really succeeded in that regard. I think Emmanuel Ogba has been the only guy all season that's kind of been consistent with the pressure. Christian Wilkins has been all right as well. And then in the secondary, when you don't have the lockdown corners playing at the level which they did last year, most, uh, mostly Xavier Howard and Byron Jones, that kind of opens a door for them to pick you apart if you're sending the house on these blitzes, which is kind of where the Dolphins, uh, you know, made their bread and butter last year. So as for some of my major takeaways from this game, first one here was kind of that point I made at the beginning of the episode that I don't think this was the Dolphins' disguised way of trying to bench Tua in favor of Brissett. I don't think that's the case. I do think when Tua is healthy, he is the clear-cut better option of the two, but I do think if they felt like his velocity or he wasn't able to to throw the ball as efficiently, and it was going to be a negative for this game in particular, that Brissett would have given them a better chance, and that realistically is the reason or the train of thought they had. As for my next kind of uh, takeaway in regards to Tua himself, is he injury prone? I mean, it's hard for me to argue against it. You guys know I'm not big on using that term, but his inability to stay healthy is definitely something that has been, you know, showing up more often than not. I was very excited during the offseason when it looked like Tua was able to pack on a little bit more size to his frame. Hopefully that would be able to keep him healthier, but for whatever reason, I don't know if it's because he's not training as much during the actual season, it looks like that's all kind of disappearing and he's reverting back uh, to his stature from last year. I mean, I could be wrong in that regard, but he doesn't necessarily strike me as the biggest guy, and especially last season, it looked like a real issue, but right now, if somebody wants to make the case that he's injury prone, I mean, I frankly don't have a good enough argument to make against it at this point, because because he's battled so many injuries. Now, uh, my next takeaway here is going to be the same one with the running game. The Dolphins could definitely improve at this running back position, but I think if they go out there in the first round next year and they draft a stud running back and the offensive line isn't addressed, I wouldn't expect there to be any differences. But I think everyone agrees the main issue here is the offensive line. So the Dolphins, I would imagine, I would hope that if they have any sort of sense to them, that their biggest
biggest priority would be, you know, drop everything else for now, find a way to fix that offensive line because this cannot continue plaguing the team the way that it has been. My next takeaway here is that the Dolphins defense looked elite in this game, but I'm weary to think it's going to carry over until the next game against the Ravens. I do think a large part of it is the Houston Texans are really that bad. I was proud to see how they neutralized Brandon Cooks to some degree, but I'm not going to bet on this defense being elite in the next game against the Ravens. I just don't see it. There was a big, massive 39-yard reception to Danny Amendola where it's like, how does this even happen? Amendola looks slow, but nobody was even in the vicinity. Chris Conley had a big 23-yard catch. Nico Collins was kind of involved in this game. And these are all receivers that wouldn't probably see the field on any team that isn't the Houston Texans. So with that in mind, I wouldn't necessarily bet on the defense kind of turning the corner and being elite like how they were last season, just strictly based off this one game against the Houston Texans. But guys, I would love to know what you guys think. As always, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so. That is at ShadySteven and at Via the Source. Any topics, questions, things you would like for me to discuss, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter and send them over there. But guys, that is how I'm going to wrap up today's episode. Until next time, I'm Steven Masso, and this was Via the Source.